Hi, we're Cutting Class Podcast. Are you interested in skinny dipping with Mao Zedong? How about listening to sexy and suicidal subliminal messages? Maybe destroying an entire city with flaming birds. Or how about having a bowl of anti-pornography cereal? We're two high school history teachers that like to cover the lesser-known stories of American and world history. You can check us out on iTunes or anywhere else that you get your podcasts or CuttingClassPodcast.com. All right, we're up and running. Oh, are we? Hello. We sure are. And welcome. Friends and enemies, it's perhaps it's you, an unofficial, oops, sorry, God damn it. We can never get this right. An unofficial Unsolved Mysteries Rewatch podcast. What's my name? Liz. Oh, what's your name? Samantha. There you go. <laughs> we're here. We know exactly today what we're doing. To solve mysteries, except that we're not gonna. It's really more of a rewatch podcast. Yeah, we really don't actually solve mysteries. That's become kind of an unofficial tagline for this podcast, is solve some mysteries, bitches. But like, we're not actually gonna solve any mysteries. Because Maybe we will. Wow, I'm really tired. Okay. Liz did Twin City Zine Fest yesterday, which was a lot of extroverting. And even though making a podcast probably doesn't seem like extroverting, it kind of is. For us, it is, at least. You're talking. It takes a lot of... Energy. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So, we're a little depleted. Liz is a little depleted. I'm always depleted just because life, but... Because Samantha is a is a busy working woman. <sighs> well, we're out both there. serious business women now. We're both serious business women. We we're out there wheeling and business. dealing in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm going to go do tomorrow? What? I am buying a gumball machine off of Craigslist. Hell yeah! I knew that you were thinking about it. I'm really excited you're actually doing it. I know. Do you have a destination for it? I think it's going to be in the acupuncture clinic. Nice. Tell Tell our friends... And listeners. No, I think I'm gonna just leave it at that. Okay. I think you just get a hint of my new business venture. Business venture <laughs> in the world of gumball machines. I assume it'll be on machines. your Instagram, so people yeah, can that's follow. True. People you can follow you there to see what that's going to be all about. Definitely follow me at Everybody Likes Liz on Instagram. We have a show Instagram too. That's perhaps it's you. Perhaps but. it's you that I don't update as often as I should. But if you want to see stories about Samantha's dogs, you'll go there. Yep. If you want to know why the hell I decided I needed to buy a, like, not like that gumball machine you have in your house as a kid, like a real gumball machine. Yep. You're going to need to follow me there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, just leave it as a mystery. <laughs> That's a mystery you could solve if you won't have Instagram, but. The other day, so I can't really have caffeine, and the other day I bought a kombucha and didn't really pay attention to it, mm. and it was made with black tea. So, I was up until 6 in the morning. Oh, God. Literally just lying in bed, like, (laughs) wide awake, wide awake, thinking about gumball machines. As you do. Yeah. And, yeah, my new business vendor just, hi. (laughs) I wasn't even, like, mad about it because I was, like, so caffeinated that I swear I was just lying there in the dark, smiling. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. We've all been there. Do you have any updates? Updates? What are those? Oh, when we have something to say about the show? No, I don't. I have an update. I <gasps> want to thank whoever <gasps> sent us some cheesies from our Amazon wish list. Oh, yeah. I, I posted it in our Facebook group. No one came forward. I still don't know who sent them. You didn't leave a note, but I wanted to tell you, whoever you are, you're an angel, and we love you, and we ate the cheesies. They're so good. They're so good. Thank you. Thank you for keeping us alive and also feeding our souls. Yes. Whoever you are, thank you, thank you. If you want to send us cheesies, which of course you do, you could go to our website, as perhaps as you.com, in the like contact section, there's some links. One of them is a wish list. Mm-hmm. You could send us stuff like cheesies or yeah. socks. We, we put some <laughs> dry shampoo on there. Yeah, Liz is using this podcast to keep herself stocked in dry shampoo. You know what? No one has bought us dry shampoo, but I'm leaving it on there. Because I mean, you know what? You always need it. Sometimes you don't have time to wash your hair before you record. Yeah. And you got to throw in some dry shampoo. It's, it's definitely podcast related. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, whoever you are. We really appreciate the cheesies. They were delicious as always. I'm glad the cheesy factory is still up and running despite the incident with the car. No, the yeah, fire. The fire. The fire. The, the car, car was, was the, the giant candy store. Yes. We They're also up and running. We were just at Minnesota's largest candy store. 
and we bought a lot of candy. I spent more money than anyone should ever spend on candy, but it was wonderful, and I've been eating it. I spent a lot of money and was honestly sad I did not have more cash on it. Cash only? Isn't that weird? So I was like, I wish I I would buy even more. Yes. Because it just, it adds up quick. It really does. You throw a few things in your basket, and suddenly it's $60. Uh Uh-huh. But I got a lot of unique candy. I didn't find the Starburst Gummy, uh, gummy, snakes. gummy snakes, but I can just get those on Amazon, so it's fine. Um, yeah, they got hit by a vehicle, probably a drunk driver. They're they're that, they really went off the road, man. That's not right next to the it's road. It's not right next to the road. It's also like also, there's a huge those ditch. Pump, those pumpkins that are in there. There's pumpkins everywhere. I don't know, but they direct hit to the candy <laughs> store, and they're and the still cheesy factory had a fire. Yes. Which front of the part Arden pointed out must have smelled so delicious. Those burning cheesies, man. It's like a campfire of cheesies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I guess I don't have another update except to say I hope you enjoyed our Flat Earth episode last week. If yes. you're not a patron that was new to you, uh, we released a Patreon bonus episode. From during- the archives. Yep. That's one of my favorites that we've done, I have to say. It's very interesting. As painful as it was to go oh, through. I'm never, I'll am never. i never be the same. Uh, so be thankful I did that for you. Yeah. I think it changed my brain chemistry. Absolutely. But we're working on a... Should we say what it is? Yeah. We were... Instead of recording a new episode, we were working on a very special episode with our friend Rob over at Our Strange Skies. So that is going to be out Sometime in October. Month. Uh how should I say our audio is bad and I've apologized to Rob several times. He seems to think it's no big deal. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear us uh, because don't, we don't know what we're doing. We have such a struggle with recording with other. I know people have podcasts where they're not in the same room every week. I have no idea how they do it. We have such a struggle with remote recording. We really do. We've never been able to get it right. Uh, so that's that. But it, Rob was very gracious to have us on. We had a great time recording with him. I hope the episode comes out. Uh, if it doesn't, it's not Rob's fault. It's 100% oh, our it's fault. obviously our because fault. Because we can't technology. We can barely do what we have here. Uh, but It's look, amazing we do this every week. But look for that. We are talking about Unsolved Mysteries. We each picked uh, really bummer episodes, but it was still strangely fun to talk about. Yeah. Uh, Rob's a nice guy. His podcast is great. Um, but so we, look for that. That we'll let you know when that's out. But that's yeah. what we were working on. So we hope you enjoyed getting your brain melted about flat Earth. Yeah, isn't that fun? I mean, how could you not? Those are the kinds of things you get if you give us a little bit of money on Patreon. Just one dollar a month will get you an extra episode. It's such a good and deal. And we're usually not melting your brain and most making of them you aren't, lose faith in humanity. Most of them aren't quite that painful. But I do think that was a really interesting topic. And there was a lot to talk about. Yeah, there was. And it's the sort of thing we wouldn't have time to go into on the regular show. Exactly. Because we got a lot of mysteries to get through. Well, we have four today, which is the perfect number of mysteries. Mm -hmm. I start, we're on season four, episode 12. Yep. And we're starting with a wanted. So we hear that Michael St. Clair, a two-time convicted murderer, escaped from the Bryant County Jail in Durant, Oklahoma. He also, while escaping, released his a fellow inmate, Dennis Reese, who had been awaiting trial for robbery and murder. Then the two of them, uh, like a shitty version of Thelma and Louise, go (laughs) on a crime spree across eight states, leaving at least four dead. Fun. Yeah. So we learn that St. Clair had had his uncle killed and then murdered the hitman to cover up the tracks. That seems like more murdering than's necessary. Maybe he couldn't get close to his uncle. Like, you think, well, why didn't you just kill your uncle then? But maybe he couldn't get close to his uncle, so he hired a hitman. They're not very clear on this. This guy just likes killing people, too. Yeah, clearly. That'll become apparent later. And I think him and his uncle were involved in some sort of organized crime, and there was, like, a struggle for power. Anyway, so that's what he was originally in prison for before he escaped. Then... A reporter comes to talk to us, and he has what I'm literally calling the best mustache we've seen in a while. It, it really is. This, this was reporter was Tom Mullins. Large it's like in charge. A ferret. It's huge. It's massive. It takes up not I, very symmetrical, but still no, quality. not at all. And I had to draw it big because it was so big, and it just has so much presence. It's a star <laughs> in and of itself. 
It does have a lot of presence. It's like, you can't look away. He's, yeah, undisputed MVM of this episode. If you're ever watching a movie with Marilyn Monroe and you're just like, yeah, she really has this sort of magnetism. You can't stop looking at her. Are you saying this is the Marilyn Monroe of mustaches? Yeah, I am. (laughs) Screen presence. This mustache. The best mustache we've seen in a while. Okay. So, the reason we're hearing from Tom Mullins is because he gets a call from St. Clair because he wants people to know that he will not be taken alive and that he will, quote, kill anyone with a badge. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he thought that meant they wouldn't try to arrest him, but... I don't know what his plan was. <laughs> the Maybe could be like, oh, you're... Oh, okay. all right, then. Just go around murdering people. <laughs> I guess it was just to instill some fear, maybe give him a little bit of an edge. I think so. I think also he was just, like, high on his own shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, he was just he's, bragging. He's on the run. He's yeah. taunting the police. It's all that. I'm gonna call this guy with a fabulous mustache. I'm gonna let him know what's up. Well, and I think this reporter had been following his trial and reporting on it, so he says... It was. I was the logical choice for him to reach out to. He talks in a very quiet, monotone way. You would think a guy with a mustache like that would be bold and boisterous. The mustache is doing it for him. Yeah, he's very... He talks kind of like this. It's very somber. It's yeah. very low. I, yeah, I guess the mustache is doing all the talking. Mm-hmm. You're right. So... Th- we don't really know what happens in between that phone call and three weeks later, when they show up in Kentucky, a state trooper tries to pull them over because they're seen fleeing from a flaming vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong could be happening here. <laughs> yeah, which I have to say is pretty specific, suspicious activity. So, but they shoot at the trooper. The trooper isn't killed, but they get away. Um, and then they're then their vehicle is found because in them getting away, they popped two of the tires. So they had to ditch that and get another vehicle. (laughs) So what they find out is that that car, well, it's really a pickup truck. That pickup truck belonged to 56-year-old Francis Brady. He had been a father of three. He had disappeared 12 hours earlier after catching a check at a convenience store. And they killed him just to steal his truck, and that's shitty. He was a retired distillery worker. He's just like... (laughs) A normal dude trying to live yeah. his life, cashing a check for he's not enough the, money, I'm sure. He's just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I swear they could have just taken his truck. Yeah. There's no reason to kill this person at all. His body is found 12 miles north in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. He was handcuffed and shot in the head execution style. Which was the exact same way that St. Clair's the uncle, uncle was had been killed. So pretty obvious what's going on so here. So fucking unnecessary. Okay, so then the truck that was on fire, if you recall, they were fleeing away from a flaming vehicle. <laughs> that truck had belonged to a paramedic named Tim Keeling. He had also vanished after visiting a convenience store. His body is found in a ditch outside of Clayton, New Mexico. Why? This is such senseless violence. It's terrible. And how far did they even get in that truck? Like, it's... Just take the truck. They drove him... And why did they drive his body all the way to New Mexico? So weird. Okay. So then, they later go on to rob a video store in Milan, Tennessee, where they murdered the clerk, a 20-year-old mother of two. So... And I think later they say they got, like, a hundred bucks from this or something. She didn't give a shit about that video store i guarantee it just take yeah, the money you did not need to murder her absolutely not it's awful and then they go to another video store that's only eight miles away and they murder that clerk there too it's terrible i'm starting to think these aren't very good people yeah wait, wait a minute uh they are described as desperate and paranoid and the public is warned that if you see them you should not approach them yourself you need to call the authorities and i was like don't worry I would not be trying to apprehend these two. <laughs> Yourself. Yeah, no way. This is a citizen's arrest. Yeah, no. No. But the- we get a very brief <laughs> update right afterwards that uh, they were eventually captured and they were both convicted and given life sentences. And I believe they're still in prison. Yep. Good riddance. One Good of them got sentenced to death, I think. But I don't think he was actually ever killed. No. Maybe he was. I don't know. But the point is, you don't have to worry about them. I've never... What a cut and dry case of guilt, man. At the very beginning of the segment, Robert's Tech went on at length about how these two are still out there. They yeah. could be at your door any second. Was, actually, think of you watching this as like a seven-year-old. Terrifying. Terrifying. That was my thought when I was watching it. I'm like, this is why everyone's They're traumatized. out there, and we need your help, because guess what? 
You better not work at a video store and you better not go to a convenience store because you're going to get straight up murdered. I think at one point, Robert even said something that was along the lines of, there's no telling when they'll strike yeah. next or something yeah. like that. It's just like, okay, now I know why everyone's traumatized by this show. Better look under your bed before you go to sleep because you are screwed. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, I'm glad they were caught. They seem super guilty and I feel really bad for all of their victims of their senseless crimes. I yeah. think they did just enjoy killing people because yeah, they were killing people over like $100, $200. Which they could have yeah. easily just taken. Yes. If you go into a video store and you threaten someone that's all 20, 20 years old and has two children, you think she's not just going to go like, here, take the entire cash register. And as many videos as you want. Yeah. these I do not care. The, these gumballs, they're free. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good and plenties. You like those? <laughs> take them. Take them. You're the one person that likes good and plenty is great. There you go. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that case. It's it's not mysterious. It's very straightforward, but sad. Yeah. All right. Next up, they're calling this one an unexplained death. I think you could have called this a fraud. You could. There's not really a mystery in this one, but it's an interesting story. I thought this was a very interesting story, actually. (laughs) Robert Stack starts out the segment by saying, "Next, a tale of deception and murder against the fading background of the old South." You got me hooked. Very poetic. So we're in the state of Tennessee. Uh, Robert Stack says, much like much of the American South, it is dotted with majestic antebellum estates. A type of aristocracy still thrives here. And Ellen McClungberry is typical of that upper crust group. He describes her as living in solitary splendor. Yes, she lived in solitary splendor on a mountaintop outside of the city of Knoxville. I think the phrase solitary splendor might be the most beautiful words I've ever heard. I kind of want to live in solitary splendor. On the top of a mountain? Yes. In a big mansion? And, yeah. And take tea outside in your giant straw hat? Uh-huh. She the only thing that would be better would be a, being a reclusive corset maker that everyone hated. <laughs> That was a previous episode. Go look it up. All right. So her great-great-grandfather founded the city of Knoxville. So she was able to live a lavish life looking down upon the city from her sprawling mansion. (sighs) So beautiful. (laughs) A man named Arthur Ballard, who is cited as Ellen's friend, compares her to Mohammed. Yeah, that was weird. This guy's weird. This guy's a strange character. He says that she is one of the last grand doms of the old school. So she could sit atop her mountain and expect everyone to flock to her. Like Mohammed. Uh-huh. He's also wearing this weird kind of like terry cloth sweatshirt Frock? thing. Like it's like over a button-up shirt or something. Yeah. It's bizarre. He did not get it at Just Sweats. No, he did not. <laughs> it's a place he should have been shopping. So one of the people who came to Ellen's mansion... Uh, was a, quote, vaguely mysterious man. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yeah, we're not giving him the credit of being full-on mysterious. He's only vaguely mysterious. What shade from Robert Stack? a little bit of shade. I think... Do you consider me vaguely mysterious? Hmm. Really, no, I'm not. No. Maybe we're full-on mysterious. I don't really think we are. Uh, No, probably not. Damn. Lenny Briscoe is, like... Smoking us out of here with his farts. Oh my god. He's <laughs> so stinky. You're he's right below you. You don't smell that? I think I'm a little stuffed up. <sighs> also, they're pointing in your direction. That's probably why. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Why did he just burst in here while we were recording the Patreon episode, barked for like two minutes, and now has stolen Curtis's bed and is just lying here farting. <laughs> if you're considering dog ownership. <laughs> That's what you have to look forward to. Yeah. Also, if you're joining the Lenny Briscoe fan club. This is the kind of attitude you're supporting. Yeah. I hope you realize that. Which you should sign up. $2 a month. You get a photo of Lenny Briscoe. Patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. <laughs> All right. So this vaguely mysterious man claimed to be from Denmark. He had been... Cor- Where all vaguely mysterious people are from. <laughs> yeah. He had been corresponding with Ellen Barry for more than 15 years, but the true nature of their relationship was not clear. Sometimes Ellen said that Dan was her godson. Sometimes she would say that he was a friend of her late son, Hugh. Couldn't the both both be true? Yeah, they could be. I don't... People were like, she kept changing her story. And I was like, maybe he's both her godson and a friend. Could be. Uh, Arthur, Ellen's friend, says, I had the strangest gut feeling that this kid was bad news. I mean, if a 
much younger man comes to the estate of a rich old lady and just the keeps, like day her husband dies or whatever and like just keeps hanging it's around definitely the same year and never leaves yeah i would find that suspicious as well he said but he was making ellen happy arthur says that he was happy that she was happy and that he thought at least someone was on the mountain with her at night in case she fell or got sick uh, Marsha Robinson is a former aide to Ellen Barry. She thinks that Dan was looking, was taking the place of her son. Did I say this guy's name? It's Dan, what was his fucking last name? I don't know. Tondevold. Uh, Marsha says that she thinks that he was taking the place of her late son. And then we learn about the late son, and then my brain exploded because the story suddenly gets so good and juicy. It's extremely juicy and extremely dark. So Robert Stack says that Hugh left a, quote, dark stain on the family tree. Years earlier, he flew into a rage over his inheritance and turned a shotgun on his grandmother, shooting her to death. Yep. The ju- but it keeps going. We're not done. The judge ruled that Hugh was not competent to stand trial. There was a rumor that Hugh was lobotomized and sent to live in Mexico. That was the part that I was like, wow, didn't see that coming. No, not this at This story all. has a lobotomy in it? Yeah. I th- that's a little it is a little dark it's, that I would delight in that but it's an it was an unexpected wrinkle we've seen a few of these frauds where someone has a lot of money and mm-hmm. someone suspicious comes blah 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 so it, it was slightly ho-hum until we get to the sun went into a murderous rage and possibly had a lobotomy well, and I was like I'm oh. listening. Well, the other thing that makes this so salacious is that this is the Old South. This is an, aristoc- an aristocratic family. Her great-grandfather founded Knoxville, Tennessee. You have to imagine they're very concerned about sure. their appearances. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly their son kills the grandmother and then is possibly lobotomized and sent to live in Mexico. Wow. Story has everything. Wow. In 1963, Ellen and her husband received word that their son had died of pneumonia. Much later, Ellen hinted to someone that he had actually died by suicide. According to friends, Hugh's body was never returned to the United States. When her husband died in 1978, Ellen Barry was left alone. Very conveniently, this vaguely mysterious stranger, supposedly from Denmark, stepped in to fill the void that same year. Hmm. Dan Tondevold moved into her guest house and took over the day-to-day operations of her estate, which was called Barrymount. I wish I had a guest house people could just move into. I know, right? How luxurious. It does sound very luxurious. Soon, Dan had made himself indispensable to Ellen Barry. Uh, The quote was, not only was Tondevold running Barrymount, but he was running her. (laughs) So Ellen signed anything Dan put in front of her, and she That's started. That's always bad. Don't do that. Bankrolling his ridiculous Tennessee walking horse hobby, which reportedly cost millions and millions of dollars. Samantha, if you had a rich old woman on the hook, is this what you would do with her no, money? No, I can't. Well, maybe with other horses. The Tennessee walking horses is such a fucking bougie. Ugh, I hate it so much. Also, those horses are abused. Uh, wow, that was a wrinkle I wasn't <laughs> expecting. So did you see the video footage of the horse that was doing, like, the high-stepping? Yeah. The way they accomplish that is by, like, putting caustic chemicals on the horse's hooves. Oh, no. And then putting little chains around them so that every time the chains hit the blisters, they pick their feet up really high. <gasps> Not everyone. People out there have Tennessee walking horses uh, that they don't do this to, so don't think that everyone does it. But they're called the Big Lick Tennessee walking horses, and... It's very painful and very horrible. And it's only, like, rich people do this. Oh, I see. Hmm. So, yeah. He apparently had, like, seven, like, a stable full of seven horses. Was she just called Barry Mount 1 through 7? <laughs> Barry Mount 1, 2, 3. I cannot imagine four, five, spending six, seven. 20 grand on a horse, which they show some reenactment of him on the phone, like, wheeling and dealing. So he's paying in, like, 20 yeah. grand a horse, maybe more. I can't imagine spending all that money on an animal and then mar- naming it Barry Mount 3. <laughs> What? <laughs> and then you're like, stable boy, go fetch me Barry Mount 3. I mean, these clearly are just objects, right? It's, it's just like a status uh, symbol. Uh, I hate it. Yeah. I don't know. Go get a pony instead. Um, a little mini pony? Yeah, I want one so bad. You should get one. I would love to have a little mini pony. A little mini horse and like a matching miniature donkey. <sighs> Not to like do anything with, just to like pet. 
Yeah. And feed carrots and stuff? Yeah, of course. Uh, You'll have, like, your own little petting zoo in the backyard. Definitely not Tennessee walking horses. The interesting thing about Tennessee walking horses is that they actually have a natural gait that's extremely comfortable. Yeah. And, like, you don't need to, like, do this, like, big, like, ridiculous... Like, they're very, like, a smooth ride. So, yeah. like, some people that have, like, back problems sometimes buy them oh. to, like, ride because it's not very bouncy. Yeah. Um. So, it's a shame that people, like, yeah, so abuse weird. them in this way. Okay. Anyway. On a- in April 1982, she granted Dan power of attorney. Bad idea. Yeah. Real bad idea. Dan convinced Ellen to take a winter vacation to Charleston. Before departing, he placed a classified ad in the newspaper requesting a chauffeur. The ad was interesting because it specified that he was looking for men who were single and asked to send a photograph. I thought this was for a different reason than it turns out to be. Yeah, well... I thought it was for a sexy reason. It could have been a sexy reason. There's a conspiracy around it. I think it's more likely a sexy reason. Okay. All right. I just think these people that are, like, hoity-toity... Sure. Couldn't, like, wrap their head around that he was going to be gone for four months and he kind of wanted someone to come with who maybe wasn't Ellen Barry. <laughs> All right. Right. At the end of their four-month vacation, they made plans to fly home. The plan was for Ellen and her aide to fly back to Tennessee. This is not the chauffeur. I originally thought that's what they were talking about because they called no. her aide a hired companion. But it's actually, that was like her, that was like a woman who took care of her. It was like a nurse almost. Yeah. Okay, so they made plans to fly home and then... Uh, Dan was to drive their Mercedes back to Barrymount. And as you may have guessed by now, Dan was not returning to Barrymount. Ellen and her aide returned home to find that the power had been shut off to the estate because they had stopped paying the bills. And they had stopped paying the bills because her money was gone. Uh, In addition to spending all her money, they discovered that Dan had borrowed over $80,000 against her estate. So for the first time in her life, Ellen Barry had a mortgage to pay, but she had no way of paying it. It's rough. Meanwhile, Dan Tondevolt turned up in an exclusive resort a hundred miles away. Unaware that his secret was out, he continued to live his life of luxury. However, the credit cards he had been using were over their limit at this point, and he was turned away. Shortly after, a suicide note was discovered in his hotel room. His body is then found in a swamp nearby. The antique gun used as the murder weapon, the murder weapon, the uh, weapon uh, laid nearby. A dog was also killed. This, why? Shot in the head and it lay near his body. I have no idea. Was it his dog? I don't know. They didn't say that it was. They just said a dog. And I think that's maybe one of the things that fuels the conspiracy that I think no one knew where this dog, where came, this from? dog came from. So sad. Uh, so there is supposedly a mystery here. Some people are skeptical that this was Dan Tondebold. Tondebold had apparently never had a social security card. I don't know why that means that this wasn't him, but authorities honored his wishes as they were spelled out in his suicide note, which was to immediately cremate him. Arthur thinks that the ad for the chauffeur chauffeur is ridiculous. He says, why wouldn't you just find one in Charleston? He thinks that Dan was trying to find a lookalike. There is a hilarious reenactment of, of reenactment oh Dan shooting his lookalike so daintily, very daintily. He has and he has this like polo shirt and the sweater over his shoulder. And he lets tied the lookalike go in front of him, and then he's just like, Ugh! <laughs> pretty much. There is another theory that Dan Tondable is actually Hugh Barry. That they were the same person and that he was, like, living this the fake son, life. The supposedly lobotomized son. However, an Unsolved Mysteries researcher uncovered a yearbook from Dan's high school. He is in the yearbook listed, quote from Robert Stack, is not surprisingly the president of the thespian club. Uh, people think that his Danish accent was an act. Ellen Barry eventually moved into a small apartment in Jefferson City, Tennessee. She passed away in 1992 at the age of 98. If the unidentified body... Um, in the swamp wasn't his Dan has yet to be found so it was him probably I yeah think he just knew like the he... jig was up he didn't have any money he knew he was found out or he was going to be found out soon I don't think he had a good long-term plan no um this Arthur guy was like I don't see why he would have gone through all the trouble to get all that money just to kill himself but he didn't have the money anymore the credit cards had run out yeah, I think he just spent The money it all. had run out. I think he went through it probably a lot faster than he thought he was going to. Right. And he um, went through an extraordinary amount of money. Millions of dollars. Yeah. So, that was it. I mean, he didn't have... I mean, he had to have known he'd be going to jail. Right. Probably. And they were going to figure it out. So, I, 
I mean, I might have bought this body double thing if he turned up later, but he never does. No, he never It's does. been a long time at this point. So, probably. And also, his yearbook photo was, like, pretty cute. Yeah, it was, actually. And I want to be an Unsolved Mysteries researcher. I know. Which I guess we are, but not really. Sort of. Not really. This person was literally hired by Unsolved Mysteries. Like, go find this person. And they, like, went through and all they these did some old, sleuthing. old yearbooks. That's yeah. amazing. They found some, like, obscure mention of his hometown and went back and found the yearbook. And then there he was. So. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I bet they got some microfiche out. I love it. Probably. Love it. Okay. Right. Are you ready to talk about A Lost Love? I'm ready to talk about A Lost Love. This one takes place in Vancouver, British Columbia. So we go back to March 1945. We meet Annie Curry, who says goodbye to her husband and two sons. They are being divorced after five years of marriage, but the husband has full custody. So she's, like, watching the car back out with her two sons. She's, like, tearfully waving goodbye. And we learn that Jim Curry, one of the sons, is searching for his mother after 40 years. This one's so sad. It is pretty sad. Jim is a public defender and ironically often finds people's lost relatives, particularly for people who are on death row. He puts them in touch with people he hasn't seen for a long time. They haven't seen for a long time. So he's like, yeah, it's just kind of bitterly ironic that I am able to find other people's families, but I'm not able to find my own mother. We learn that his parents met during World War II, um, and which his dad was a soldier. She gave birth. I think they had been married for like maybe a year at that point and was sent to live with his parents. So she's living with her parents, his parents for a year. She's got a small baby. She's very isolated. She doesn't know anyone else. Well, what happened was he was stationed um overseas during world war right. two and she uh was somehow near a bomb that fell while she was pregnant oh i missed that and she miscarried as a oh, result she was right. she was thrown to right. the ground during a bomb blast um and so after she miscarried uh obviously traumatic she got pregnant again and when she was pregnant again they thought it would be best if she got out of the country so he sent her to yes. live with his parents in vancouver yes so she's living with them for a year before he returns from war. However, he when he came back, the war had changed him. He had seen some really horrible shit, and he just wasn't the same person that he had been. Yeah, I think Jim says that he closed himself off emotionally to protect himself. Yes, and he said something about how you're just not the same after you see your friend blown to a thousand pieces before your very eyes, which... Which is true. Yeah. I don't know that it excuses what he does later, but... Yeah, it just... It offers some explanation, and Jim is very forgiving. Yeah, he's very forgiving to both of his parents, but I think it sort of is relevant information to see why this marriage didn't work out. Yeah, for sure. Like, when they met, they were young and in love, but when they were able to be together again, they just weren't the same people anymore. Yeah. Um... So he comes back from the war and he gets a job as a customs official, which involves him working a lot at night for whatever reason. So he's gone a lot and Annie starts having an affair with an older older neighbor friend who I think was like more available than her husband was. Well, and, he was married, but I think he well, was okay, available more for emotionally her. available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're both cheating and a relative found out about it and told dan he immediately sued her for divorce and full custody of the children and because she was the like i don't know the party in the wrong or however you phrase it in the divorce he got full custody of the children and she wasn't even given visitation rights no. it was totally up to him well and despite the fact that and this was despite the fact that the judge recognized that she was a good person and just made a mistake and was probably in some ways tricked by this older man. Right. But they still offered her no legal way to get custody. It was just up to him. I'm sure this is not how this would go now. This was quite a long time ago, but it is really sad. Right. Because he, I think, was kind of vindictive about it. Yeah, because he gets full custody of the children and then sends one to an orphanage. Yeah. Like, why even bother? I don't know. Like, I'm sure Annie would have kept that child rather than have it sent to an orphanage, but she doesn't have any right to say anymore. Yeah. And we get this really, like, horrible reenactment of her packing up the suitcase for her kid to, like, send them off forever. I know. And she's like, oh, are you going to need your long johns? You're like, yeah, I bet you. And she's, like, trying to put on a brave face. It was just awful. It was so upsetting. So, yeah, we see <laughs> the dad, like, pull away with the kids again. She's waving goodbye. We learn that, like, he very quickly gets rid of the youngest son 
not the, not the son we meet in this segment, and he brings Jim to L.A. So we get he the last time he sees his mother is before they're moving to Los Angeles. She he's like allowed to come and say goodbye to his mother, but he doesn't even remember like any hugs or anything. He just remembers it being sad, and the reenactment has like Annie saying. But he needs me. I'm his mother. And the dad being like, no, he doesn't. It's like, but he needs his brother. Like, no, he doesn't. And that's like it? Yeah, it looked very cruel. Like, end of discussion? So, Jim felt throughout his life that he wasn't really allowed to say that he missed his mother or wondered what she was up to. And he didn't have it, wasn't allowed any contact with her. So, it wasn't until his dad died in 1989 that he started seriously looking for her. And as part of that, I think, I can't tell. I don't remember if this was from the update or part of the segment, but he finds out that one of his bro- he finds his brother, who is married. It was part of the segment. Okay, so he was married and still living in Vancouver. However, his brother has no memory because he was just a little kid. Yeah, he was adopted by a family. So he's loyal to his on. adoptive parents. He doesn't have any memory of Jim or his mother. So this was sort of a plea for him to at last be put in touch with his mother. Unfortunately. No. I think he does get in touch with some distant relatives, but yes. he never gets to meet his mother. So after the broadcast, he's put in touch with some distant relative, but that person is no longer in touch with his mother either. All he knows is that his mother was also looking for him. But if she was still alive, she would be in her 90s. Like, Yeah, it's unlikely. I just, it was crazy to me that in this day and age, he can't find her. Well, and there was a quote he said because he, so he works for the public defender's office. He is typically assigned to inmates that are faith- facing death sentences. And he says as a part of that work, he's an advocate for them. He's not like an actual, he's not a public defender, he's an investigator, and also an advocate. And as a part of that work, he will sometimes go and find relatives sure. of these people. So they maybe were adopted themselves, they're facing a death sentence, they want to find their family, and he's been able to do that. But, but he's he never been able to find his own mother. It's so sad. It's really a very bitter, heartbreaking story about just yeah. sort of the ramifications of war, even in yeah. non-deadly circumstances. Well, and he says growing up, his father never wanted to talk about his mother. He never got to, felt like he could ask questions about her. And he didn't, even the mention of him trying to find his mother upset his father so much that he waited till after his father died to actually start yeah. looking in earnest. And by this point, his mother would have been so elderly, it's unlikely that she... Was he was really deprived of this person who loved him, and, and he loved her, and yeah. it's so senseless. It's really upsetting. This is not a... This is not a happy last love. This is not love. a happy last love, although I thought Jim was a delightful person. Yeah, I'm Jim seemed really cool. really upset that he never, yeah, got to see his mother. So, that's a that's a better one. Yeah. Don't recommend, honestly. But the next one is a much better Lost yeah, Love. Yeah, this one's better. So, this is a Lost Love during the Great Depression. So, Charlie Best, his wife Elva, and their three children, Zellame, Carl, and Verlin. Zellame is such a good name. Zellame is a fantastic name. They lived in Tennessee. They managed to stave off the hardship of the Depression by growing watermelons and tobacco. One day... Smart. Um, one day, the, a lone stranger with two young girls sought refuge in Charlie's farmhouse. The man called himself Tom Underwood, and he was looking for a place for his daughters to sleep for the night. Zella May was a teenager and remembers Tom asking for a bed for his girls to sleep in. Tom said that he could sleep in the barn, but her father said, no, no, you can sleep in the house with them. Which is really nice. Yeah. Because this is a total stranger. For sure. And he's trusting them. The reason this guy's offering to sleep in the barn is like, look, I know you might not trust me, but have some sympathy for these young girls. Right. I'm willing to sleep in the barn if you'll give them a bed. And he's like, no, you can sleep in here too, man. Right. This family had nothing. What are they, They're going to sleep on the hard ground otherwise. Yeah. They're just literally walking around. So Tom had fallen on hard times. His daughters were Madeline, who is nine, and Ada, who is seven. They had been traveling for a long time as he had been searching for work. Their mother had died years earlier. They spent the night with Zell and Zella May cooked them breakfast the next morning. Tom told Charlie that he was taking the girls to live with friends while he continued to search for work. As they left, Zella May asked her father why they hadn't just offered to keep the girls themselves. Um, by pure coincidence, however, Zella May happened upon the family a few days later. They were coming back through the area because they had been turned away by the friends Tom had been hoping would take the girls. 
Zella Mae convinced Tom to come back to her house. Charlie agreed to care for the girls until Tom could get back on his feet. Zella Mae is interviewed for the show. This is years later. And she says that times were hard, but her father was willing to take them in and to share what they had to eat. She said it wasn't much, but they never went hungry. These are such good people. Amazing people. This is so sweet. This is really a heartwarming story. So Madeline and Ada became part of the family immediately. Charlie treated them as if they were his own children. Uh, they shared in everything the, with the other kids. They imme- they're described as immediately fitting in. I think the um, the third sibling had just passed away by this point, but Carl and Zellamere interviewed for the show, and they said that they don't remember any sadness. It was just happy, uh, they were immediately part of the family, and that they didn't feel like they were strangers in the house. Yeah, this also showed me how you shuck corn, which I didn't know. You never shucked corn? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I, it's not I, a fun chore, I, but you do I, get corn at the end I of it. I literally wrote down, oh, that's how you shuck corn, because that's <laughs> one of the chores all the children are doing together. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> Just me being a city mouse, not knowing how these things work. So Madeline became especially close with her surrogate mother. Elva had a rare nerve disorder, and it made it difficult for her to care for herself, but Madeline would pitch in and help. This seemed like a really nice, happy life. It seemed like it was. And they were just were so generous to share their, like, meager resources with these children who really right. needed it. They didn't. And I mean, even though they weren't facing as much hardship as a lot of other people, they I'm still sure didn't have so, a lot to eat. Yeah, so lean times. They were, they were more than willing to share it with these two so girls. So sweet. And they were happy about it. Carl and Zella May described their childhood with their adopted sisters as nothing but happy. They remember their father skipping with Madeline and Ada. Mm. The girls weren't strangers in their home. However, 26 months after the girls arrived to stay with the bests, Tom returned to take his daughter back. Tom was in a hurry and refused to wait until Charlie returned home. It was only Zella May there, but he insisted that he take the girls now. It was difficult for Zella May to say goodbye to the girls, especially so quickly. She was really sad because she had always wanted a sister, but she knew her parents weren't having any more children. So suddenly she had two sisters. Yeah. And they were really a part of the family. Um, and now this guy just showed up and wanted to take and him back. And she was like, can't we wait till my dad gets back so he can at least say goodbye? And he's like, no, we got to go now. Mm-hmm. So today she believes that Tom was afraid that her father wouldn't let him take the girls back. And that's why he was in such a hurry. Shortly after, the best received a strange letter from Madeline and Ada. Their father had left them at an orphanage in Nashville. Charlie immediately contacted the orphanage to see if he could adopt the girls, but by that time, Tom had returned to once again take the children back. It's really sad. Yeah, and that was the last time the best family heard from Madeline and Ada. At the time of the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast, Zella May and her father still live within 10 miles of the old farmhouse. Zella May was 66 and her father was 91. And there's, we, we visit him. He's sitting on his porch. He has he like his best so suit sweet. on with a little blanket over his lap. And he seemed like the sweetest old man. Yeah. And he was clearly a great person. And apparently he's been asking about those girls like his whole time. For years. And he still thinks of them as little girls. And he will often ask for updates. I think they had told him that, hey, we're going on this show. We're going to try and find them. And when they go to visit him, he asks, you know, is there any news on the girls? It's so sweet. It makes me want to cry. So Zella May wants to reunite her father with Madeline and Ada. And the update is that the night the broadcast aired, Ada Underwood was watching. She was now... amazing! I know, I have chills. So she was now 59 years old and living in Indiana. Sadly, Madeline had already passed away, but Ada was eager to be reunited with the Best family, and 10 days later, she traveled to Tennessee to be reunited with Charlie Best and his two living children, Zella Mae and Carl. Sadly, eight weeks later, Charlie passed away... But his family said that the reunion uh, gave him a lot of peace in his final days. Uh, so, so that's like sweet. the sweetest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. I love these lost loves, and I kind of wish that's like all this podcast was about. Um, you know, sometimes it's adorable. you hear stories of elderly people are sort of holding on for something, and then once that there's a peace made with it, then they're able to, to let go to let go and pass on. And I wonder if this is one of those cases where Oh, I think it is for sure. Once he knew that they were okay. Yeah, that yeah. they had gone on to live a happy life. That was like he 
Yeah, I could rest with that. You get to see the reunion. They film it. And he, at one point he says that she's, you're beautiful. Oh, it's so it's sweet. so sweet. I could cry. He's like the sweetest little man. And I understand why, like, she was really touched that they had been looking for her all this time. But she was just a kid. So I kind of understand why she hadn't, like, tried to reach out to them because... I'm sure she was like, was, she was I just seven? a burden? Yeah, was I just yeah. a burden? Yeah, she didn't or know. Did they really want me there? Like, she's going to be confused about that situation. It was probably like, like she's literally walking around the country with her dad. Like right. that kind of just turmoil was going on. So it, it meant a lot to her that they actually did care about her and want to find her. But yeah. I can understand why she hadn't like been looking for them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. She's not gonna know. And maybe she didn't even remember their names. Like, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It was such a brief. You know, she was there for twenty six months, which is a while. But she's in, also a little kid. She was a little kid, and, and she's not gonna be able no. to sort that out. So she was really happy to have discovered that all this time so they still sweet. they still wanted to find her. And she said, I was touched because they clearly cared about me when no one else did. Yeah. No one else would take them in. Her father, you know, I don't know what was going on with him. I'm sure he was trying his best. But yeah. He just wanted to be with his girls, but he didn't have the means. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's a really touching story. A great lost love. Yeah. That's 100%. a great one. Your mysteries in this episode, I think, were really good. Mine were kind of a little more boring. Yeah, they mine were were pretty good. Should we rate it? Yes. Us? Okay. Uh, mysteriousness. Um, not that mysterious. No. No. Mm, even, not really. The, even my, my first one that they call an unexplained death was like not pretty that explained. It's pretty explained. So a thumbs down for mysteriousness. Yeah, I would say so. Actually, reenactments pretty good. They were decent. I think I really liked the ones during the Depression. I think those were well done. It really captured, I don't know, the, like, making a, a good life out of what they had. Oh, yeah, for sure. It I, really captured how tight-knit the family was. Yeah, so those were good. The, actually, the reenactment of Dan shooting his supposed lookalike in the back <laughs> of the head is full-on ridiculous. So, actually, I recommend that, even though it's terribly done. Um, What else? I don't know. A thumbs up for yeah, me for reenactment. Sure, yeah. I liked it. Uh, fashion. The period fashion from the Great Depression was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, nothing super stands out to me, but it was good. We could have used some, like, more ritual lady fashion. Yes, absolutely. We got a little bit. Not enough. Not quite enough. Still decent. And they just put reenactment Dan Tundevold in that fucking golf shirt with the sweater over his shoulders the whole time, which I guess is supposed to be like, he's a rich person. Yeah. But... That was ridiculous. Rich so, people like to wear sweaters the wrong way. They don't know they can go over their head. <laughs> they can only be worn on can, shoulders. They can only wear them on their shoulders. Yeah, so sure. Thumbs up, thumbs I guess. Up. And Robert Stack? He he seemed to be taking stuff very seriously. Yeah. He, he brought the gravitas for sure. Mm-hmm. At one point, he was, like, in a dimly lit area, and there was some fog coming out of, like, a hole in the ground. Yeah, there was literally a fog machine going off screen, which I think is so Unsolved Mysteries. So, thumbs up. Thumbs up. And then overall, what would you say? See, this is a very, like, half and half. Yeah, Because your mysteries were kind of boring. My mysteries were really good. I think your mysteries are really good, but I'm not sure they can carry the whole episode. So I'm going to say three and a half. I think three and a half is good. Normally, I would love two lost loves in one episode, but yours was such a bummer. Mine is a bummer. There has to be a resolution. There needs to be a reunion at the end where I'm pretty bummed out about it. So a three and a half seems fair. And I just feel bad for that guy because he seemed really nice. And I know. Even though he hadn't had any contact with his mother, he seemed really understanding of the situation and just I like that he's doing all this work for people on death row yes, and like absolutely yeah but I'm gonna go with three and a half are we ready it for time for recommendations recommendations do, 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 do. we should have a special theme song right before the, we really the should. recommendations recommendations there you go someone here for you take these sound clips and make it into a theme song recommendations for- recommendations <laughs> that one was quality. Oh, yeah. It definitely was. Well, I have a recommendation you're already aware of. All right. Because I thought I didn't have a recommendation, but then I was at Zine Fest. So I have an artist to recommend. Oh, I got some stuff from this person. I can already tell. This is Sarah Evanston. You can find her at sarah-evanston.com or at salty sweet Sarah. I assume that's on Instagram. This was one of my favorite people that was at Zine Fest because... 
what this is a masterpiece i got three of those so this i could give some those gifts i got i did too <laughs> so this is a little print of a ouija board but instead of the alphabet it says life will not get any better <laughs> which is just so on brand and for there's me. no yes it's just two no's it's and then goodbye. two no's goodbye life will not get any better the sun and the moon yep uh it's a masterpiece <laughs> it belongs in the louvre <laughs> It cost me a whole dollar. One dollar. It was quite the bargain. All right. If you've never been to a zine fest, there's more and more all the time. There are lots of cities. There's not just around here. If you are shopping on a budget, zine fest is the place to be. Oh, definitely. Because this was literally a dollar. And you could just go and put this in like a little frame from Marshall's and you have a great gift. Yes. How much would that cost you? Like five bucks yes it's amazing and, and you're supporting a local artist and you're supporting this artist and i just love this thing so much <laughs> it's perfect i can't even decide where to hang it because it could go in like literally any room in my house i also got this one that some girls playing with a ouija board and it says spirits who has a crush on me i looked through her zine that that came from which was like like contacting the devil on a sleepover or something <laughs> it was quality uh, yeah so good so good and i also got Similar to a conversation heart, she said these were conversation stoppers. <laughs> and so I have a print that's literally just a heart and it says don't. I got one of those too. I got, actually, I got two of those. I got the one that said don't and the one that said stop. I think they're genius. Yeah. So, yes, this is like a local artist to our area, Sarah Evanston. I think she's doing amazing stuff. So definitely follow her on Instagram and buy like five of these Ouija board prints because everybody's going to want one. I think they're so cool. That's my recommendation for today. That's a solid recommendation. So I'm recommending a subscription service that I thought a lot of people knew about, so I've never mentioned it before, but I talked about it at our last book club meeting and a bunch of people had never heard of it. So I thought I would mention it, mention it because if you're a big reader, I think this is the thing for you. So it's called Scribd. Yeah. S-C-R-I-B-D. I just this month canceled my Audible subscription um, because between Scribd and the library, I have found that I have all the books that I need. Yeah. Uh, Scribd is eight ninety nine a month, and it's an un- it gives you an unlimited quote unquote. I'm putting this in scare quotes. <laughs> unlimited access to their digital library, which has millions of audiobooks and eBooks, and also various documents. Uh, my husband is learning how to play the piano right now, and he's used it for sheet oh, music. So if that's something that's cool. you do, that's something you can find on Scribd. Aren't you also in Audible Jail? I'm in Audible Return Jail, which I don't know if I want to admit that, but <laughs> okay, apparently, no, it's fine. I'm bitter about it. It's one of the reasons why I started looking for an alternative to Audible was because they no longer let me return. They okay. So Audible What says, happened to that guarantee, the good yes, read guarantee? Yes, they have the great listen guarantee, my ass. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> apparently, they get around this. So I emailed with someone at Audible that didn't understand my problem. But they basically, what I came to understand is that if you return too many books, which I don't even return I that sw- many books. I, see, the thing, what's hilarious about me is that I literally abuse this system, <laughs> and Samantha doesn't. I... Yes, do I return books? Yes, but I don't return books that I've finished, right? Yeah, which it's I totally It's very have. tempting, because they have this great list and guarantee, to finish a book and, and then, then like, get mm, another- Didn't like it. Yeah, get another credit for it. I don't do that. I will. I, do. I will get like 10% into a book, decide I don't like it, return it. Or sometimes just the narrator is terrible, or you go yeah. like, whoa, this was a bad choice, this book sucks. And you only get like two credits a month. Yeah. So you don't want to spend it on a book that you don't like. So you can still return things, you just can't use the quick return, which means I have to like email or call Audible and say I want to have this book returned. So fuck no, Audible, fuck no. Amazon, fuck Jeff Bezos, I'm done. Uh, Scribd is eight ninety nine a month. I have not found many books I can't find on Scribd, and I say quote unquote unlimited because they do say that they can like temporarily restrict the amount of books within a thirty day period. But I've only heard of this happening to, like, booktubers that read, like, a million books a month. Okay. I rarely read more than, like, four books a month. So I haven't had I mean, which is a lot. Yeah, and you can get unlimited books with this. So I think it would only come up, I mean, maybe if you're a student or something, but if it's something where they think you're 
They probably think you're sharing the account is what it is. Yes. I think that's why. So they can restrict you in that. There's like some fine print. It doesn't say how many. But if you're suddenly downloading a ton of books. It's like, that's weird. They read 50 books this month. Yeah. So I think that can happen. But it probably won't happen to you if you're just a normal user of the system. Uh, I think it's great. The only thing I don't like about it is that uh, if you have a Kindle Paperwhite or one that doesn't, that's not a Kindle Fire... Okay. You can't download books to your Kindle. Oh, weird. Because it doesn't, it's not supported. Like the Kindle Fire yeah, is like a yeah. tablet, so you can get the app and then you can read on your Kindle. But I have the Kindle Paperwhite, so I can't download ebooks to this. But I get ebooks from the library, so it's not a big deal. Um, I primarily use Scribd for audiobooks and it's wonderful. I have no problems with it. Uh, some people say that it skips. I haven't experienced that issue. Um, have been the other thing that I really like about it is you can create lists. So I have various lists of books that I want to read. Oh, nice! And it's not like Goodreads where I have to go back and forth. I have to see if I have an Audible credit. I have to decide if I want to buy yeah. it. I can just open my list on Scribd, find the book I want to read, click play, and then it plays. I think it's great. It's cheaper than Amazon. It's not Amazon. Um, it's not yeah. Audible. Yeah. I mean, what do you pay like twenty five dollars a month for two credits? It's something ridiculous. And then suddenly they can decide you can't return your books anymore. Uh, but Scribd is $8.99 and you get basically unlimited. Yeah, and definitely check out your local library system. You might be surprised how many audiobooks they have. Yes, absolutely. You can and if use... your local library is not that big, definitely befriend someone in a bigger library system and get in that. <laughs> use their library card. The Overdrive and Libby are two apps that a lot of libraries are using, and you can just instantly download audiobooks or ebooks using those services. And unlike Scribd, you can send most books to your Kindle. Yeah. Um, I think if you have a Nook, Scribd is supported on the Nook. So if you read oh, okay. ebooks that way, I think, I don't quote me on that, but I think you can use it. Um, so between that and the library, I'm like, yeah, you done, with, you, you done with Audible. You don't need Audible. Every so often on Twitter, someone who probably lives in Silicon Valley or something will say, I just don't understand why they haven't made uh, Netflix, but for books. <laughs> and then you go, it's called the fucking library, and it's free. That's why. Like, oh my god. W- 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 uh, uh, it's like, no, but not like the library, though, like this. And then you go, yeah, the library does yeah, that. Yeah, that's the library. Yeah, the library has audiobooks. Yeah, the library has ebooks. Yeah. Yeah, the library has space. You can just go for your book club. Mm-hmm. It has yeah, everything. you can go take a computer class there. The... Hennepin County Library now has circulating zines. It's yeah. amazing. Libraries are the shit. And if anyone ever tells you that we don't need libraries anymore, spit right in their face. <laughs> I hate it. Yes. Be like. Smack them with a big book. Yeah. It's not true. No. Because we need these audiobooks. <laughs> but people need access to information. Yes. They oh, absolutely do. God. Makes me so angry. Support the library. Don't support Amazon if you can help it. Yeah. I mean, yes, we watched Unsolved Mysteries on Amazon Prime, but... But You can watch it on YouTube now. You can. You don't need them. So maybe think about doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah! (laughs) That's my recommendation. Uh, Anybody that was involved in the climate strike we just had, also kudos to you. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back if you did that. Absolutely. Is that all we got for today? I'm pretty sure it is. Should we plug our shit? Yes. Okay. So, uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps it's you. you. Um, if you have a spooky paranormal tale oh, that yeah, you'd like to share to us. with us, that's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. We're not reading those yet. We are collecting all of them for the end of the season to do our spectacular listener stories episode. I love doing those. So, so if you fun. have anything weird, creepy that's happened to you. We want to hear about it. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to throw a few extra dollars our way, or even just one dollar our way, patreon.com slash perhaps it's you, you can get bonus content every month. It's a pretty good deal. Uh, yeah. For $5, you get a PDF coloring sheet every month. That's something I whip up. And yeah, it's pretty awesome. Sometimes we do fun extra things, like we do watch parties. When you're listening to this, we will have already done our How Far Is Tad Too Far watch party. But maybe Which, you want to be there for the next one. At the time of this recording, we haven't done yet. I'm hoping it goes well. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I put together the YouTube playlist yesterday, and many of them I have not seen yet. There's a lot of new ones out there. I hope they're not too offensive, or if they are, that we can still laugh at them. Um, yeah. It's that's going to be, be good. That's the kind of extra cool stuff we do. <laughs> it's quality. Yeah, quality. Our Patreon is actually like a really good deal. 
I think it is. So we have a website, perhaps it's you.com. Our episodes are on there if you ever need them, but we're also on Spotify. Spotify? Spartify. Spartify. Sure, that's a thing I'm starting and we're on it. And, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. You're already listening Tell to this. Tell a friend. You Give already us a know. Five star review on <gasps> We need more five star reviews, but yes. we only accept five star reviews. So get on there. Tell us how great we are. We Or tell us how much we suck, but as long as you give us five stars, I don't care. Yeah, that's also fine. And you know our ego needs it. We you feed off those. Really do. It's our lifeblood. I think that's everything. I think so. Thank you. Bye. Solve some mysteries, bitches. Bye.